This is the John Clayton Show on 710 ESPN Seattle. Get in on the conversation at 866-979-ESPN. Now, here's your host, the professor, John Clayton. Well, it does appear that Matt Nelson has been able to fix up the phone lines. So we'll get in the next segment back to your phone calls. But in the meantime... Uh, we want to thank Gary Hill, who runs the Mariner uh, broadcasting team, does the broadcasting on, on the games and all that stuff, for moving his time up to be able to talk to us. And, Gary, as you know, you know, kind of running the Mariner broadcast and the network and all that stuff, uh, you can have some problems. And, of course, the problem in the first hour was that we have a three-hour call-in show and uh, we couldn't take calls. Oh, John, I've been there before. <laughs> Good thing you have a magician like Matt Nelson on your side. That yeah, because, I mean, we're, we we had all kinds of problems because, you know, it's a Saturday, it's Father's Day weekend and everything else, and so we had a difficult time. Even We couldn't even raise an engineer to be able to help us out. So Matt uh, you know, did some magic, and it looks like it's going to work. But, but running the broadcast, what was one or, one or two of the toughest things that you had to face you know, with some technical problems on the broadcast? Oh, I've, you know, over time, you just, you run into situations that you just, you don't anticipate and you just, you do the best you can. Yeah. You know, some, sometimes, I mean, especially at road venues, you, you never are a hundred percent sure what you're going to get at the major league level. It's all pretty standard. And pretty yeah. Great. But uh, through the years, there's been times where I've gotten to road places and, you know, they don't really have a spot for you, or you're outside, or you know, it's just it, it can be it can be wild depending on uh, depending on where you are and what you get. And you know, there are uh, there's been some challenges over the years. That's what I'll say. And mm-hmm. I, I've been fortunate that I've been able to get every broadcast on at some point, somehow, some way. So knock on wood. Hopefully, yeah. I'll, the string will continue tonight. Yeah, no doubt about it. Now, curiously, with the uh, everything opening up, I know that uh, you know starting Tuesday this week that they can have a full attendance at Mariner games, and you know we're going to open everything up on uh, July on June 30th as far as being able to do everything. Uh, are 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 you still going to be doing the broadcasts uh, in town, or will you start to be able to travel? That's a great question. It's still uncertain from that aspect. I'm really pumped about yeah. uh, T-Mobile being open. That is going to be so great. I mean, you know, my favorite moments of the season have been just having the fans in the ballpark. It has been it was such a long time. Last year was so hard for all the obvious reasons. And you know, from the big moments, in the ball game, just the intensity, you know, when things get tight late in the ball game, just to have that energy, you can feel the crowd, which so missed from those big moments to the small moments, you know, having just a little kid catch a foul ball and the smile on his face, you know, those, those type of moments. It has been so wonderful to have the fans back and to have full capacity. I can't wait. Travel is still uncertain. I'm not 100% sure what's going to happen on that regard. We're just kind of waiting and seeing. So hopefully at some point we'll be back on the road this season. If not, we'll just make do with what we've been doing. Yeah, we're the same way in the NFL right now on the Seahawks broadcast and broadcasts all through the league. Uh, so we still don't know. Uh, still too early to make a decision on that because again, the league still hasn't been able to figure things out. I mean, we know that the looks like uh, seats will be filled, but right now we'll still have to go into broadcast. But speaking of the Mariners, how uh, how do you describe the way this homestand has been, and what the heck did 
the Cleveland do in getting rid of Jack Bowers because I mean, he's batting 343 and he's been sensational at first base and hitting since coming over from Cleveland. Yeah, he's been a really nice addition. He came along at the exact right time because the Mariners, you know, they've, we all know they've had their injury woes so far this season and they really needed a guy uh, with his flexibility too. He's played first, he's played some right field and they've needed both at that time. He's had a game winning home run along the way. He's been a really nice addition and good for him so far. That is so hard. You know, we, we look at transactions all the time, but it gets easy to, uh, it's easy to get lost, kind of the human toll. You know, when a guy gets DFA'd, man, it's like you're out in the wilderness. You don't know exactly what's going to happen next. I mean, you hope someone picks you up. You don't know if you're going to the minor leagues. It's just 24 hours, 48 hours of just not knowing what's going to happen. And the Mariners picked him up, and he's been really great ever since. And, you know, overall, big picture, it's been impressive. There have been a couple times this season where things have looked really grim. You know, you look at that second game in Cleveland, or third game in Cleveland, rather, where they have the meltdown, right? They mm-hmm. have the lead. They, they give it up in just heartbreaking fashion. And things, you know, they lose three in a row at that point. You're like, oh, no, where is this going to go? Since then, wouldn't you know it, they've won five of their past six and they've played some really good baseball. And they've had a couple of those this season where, you know, you just wonder where this is going to go, and they find a way to pull themselves out of it, and here they are back at 500. And I give you know, the coaching staff a ton of credit and the players as well. It's been impressive through everything they've had to fight through. Here they are at 500 and hanging around. Oh, That's no doubt. Impressive. Yeah, it's been great. I mean, and, uh, you know, uh, what, what was the story? in? Because I, I love the fact that here's Jack Bowers. He gets released by or DFA'd, and then uh, the Mariners get him. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I'll drive. I'll drive all, all the way over to the game. Uh, and he, he drove over and then, uh, you know, li- linked up. And since coming over, it's just been great. It's one of those great baseball stories, right? You know, he's in Cleveland after getting DFA, yeah. and the Mariners are in Detroit. And so he's like, yeah, I'll get there as soon as I can. So instead of hopping on the plane, he thought it'd just be easier to drive. So that's exactly what he did. And it's funny because the Mariners were playing, of course, Cleveland yeah. in the series after. So after the game in Detroit, hopped back in his car and drove back home to Cleveland to grab some of his stuff and play in that series. It's one of those just funny baseball stories baseball moments and it's got to be super weird to face the team that just released you Mm -hmm. and you can feel pretty great for him that he was able to enact some revenge too which is pretty awesome but you know he's been great and terry francona talked about it after the fact uh when they did dfam it was a hard call for them but you know they're they've had struggles offensively too and they're looking for answers and He's hoping in that another team can unlock that potential. And sometimes, you know, that's what it takes. Sometimes it takes new eyes, new coaching staff, you know, that sort of thing. And, you know, baseball works that way sometimes where it just was not going to work for whatever reason with a certain team. It just wasn't going to work. And so hopefully it's going to work for Bowers in Seattle. So far, so good. That's yeah. for sure. I tell you, the one guy that keeps amazing everybody, and you watched it again last night, and you watched it through the season, is J.P. Crawford because J.P. Oh. Crawford has been, you know, uh, what probably is he's the best at turning a double play in the league. He's got such great range, but his hitting has been so good. He has been phenomenal this year, and last night was a great example. He had a handful of 
excellent plays, and he makes it look so easy. He's so smooth. I mean, you by the numbers, he is the best defensive player in baseball, regardless of position, and that is saying a ton. He's been that good at shortstop this year. So you couple that with what he's doing offensively, and you have an excellent player. And he is now well over a month, month and a half now, of being really good at the plate. He's hitting the ball with authority to all fields. We see him muscle up and drive it out of the ballpark as well. He's among the doubles leaders in the American League, which is kind of easy to look over, but 17 doubles so far this season at the top of the lineup. He's getting on base. He's causing problems. He has been excellent this season. The shortstop position in the American League is really deep. There's some really good seasons going on with Xander Bogarts uh, leading the charge. He's been great. Correa, some other guys like that. I don't know if JP's going to get into the All-Star game. He's deserving. He has played at an All-Star level. I hope he gets there. If he doesn't, it's just because the position is so deep. But he is playing at that level. He is having, whether he gets there or not, he's having an all-star first half. He's been that good. Mm-hmm. He really has. And then, of course, it was great to see, finally, Yusei Kikuchi uh, having a little bit of run support because, again, he's pitched so well. that. Uh, but you know, he's lost a couple games because there was just no runs. And here he comes, and he gets a 5-1 win last, last night and pitched very well. He has stepped up in a massive way for this team. He has been so consistent this year. You think about the injuries they've had in the rotation. You know, Paxton, we know the story, only throwing an inning. Marco on the IL, he's still trying to find himself a little bit. And through that, Yusei Kikuchi has been excellent. You look at his last nine starts, including last night, you know, ERA at two and a half during that stretch. Opponents batting 173 against him. His fastball has been wicked. We saw it last night, just challenging guys at 98 and just throwing it by him. His cutter's been really good as well. He's getting a ton of ground balls. He's getting a lot of strikeouts. This is the Yusei Kikuchi that the Mariners were certainly hoping for, and it's been fun to watch him stair-step in his major league career, and he's putting it all together right now. He has been so good taking the ball every five, six days for the Mariners. Yeah, and I guess uh, the big adjustment now with Justin Dunn going on the uh, 10-day uh, injury list is that uh, instead of the six-man rotation, it'll be a five-man rotation. Yeah, it actually worked at a time of the schedule where there's some actually off days coming. The Mariners have not had a lot of off days at the beginning of the season, so there's a few coming. So they can uh, make this work where they will not need a six pitcher until after the all-star break. So they're going five man the rest of the way to the all-star break. So with the off days, they can make that happen. And, you know, hopefully knock on wood, they can continue to be healthy in the rotation. Uh, Marco's back, which is outstanding. Uh, Chris Flexen has quietly put together a really nice first half. He's had some outstanding, uh, starts so far and Logan Gilbert. Logan Gilbert, last start against Cleveland, was awesome. He was so good. I'm excited to see him tonight against Tampa. He's gotten uh, better every single start so far in his young career, and he really opened eyes last time against Cleveland. So hopefully we'll see some more of that. But I'm very excited what we've seen from Gilbert. How do you evaluate how the bullpen has been? Ah, That's a great question. So I kind of think about the bullpen in two phases this year. There was kind of the April phase where – 
The bullpen absolutely put the team on their backs. With all the other injuries, all the offensive struggles, everything going on, the reason they stayed above water in the first month was the bullpen because they were lights out. There was guys like, you know, Will Vest, Kendall Graveman didn't give up a run. You know, just up and down. Every guy they rolled out was excellent. Then they hit some injury issues. They hit some COVID issues. And so here comes phase two of the bullpen. And that's guys like Paul Seawald, J.T. Chagua, Drew Steckenrider, guys like that who have been fantastic. Before the season, I don't think uh, anyone would have predicted when you're in a one-run ball game and going through the seventh, eighth, and ninth, that you're handing it to Seawald, Chagua, and Steckenrider, and that's exactly what they've done, and they have been outstanding. All of them with the ERAs under two and a half, all of them pitching high-leverage situations, and all of them having big success. So this phase two have been a lot of guys that, uh, from the outside, you wouldn't have expected to be contributing at this level, but they really are. And it's a, and the credit goes all the way around. Uh, credit to the front office for identifying some guys with skills that they believe could really help them, uh, especially with some tweaks, you know, some minor league free agent type guys. And credit to the players. Uh, it's one of those symmetry things between the front office coaching staff and players, their willingness to kind of adjust some things they're doing. And you watch it play out on the field, and it's been excellent. So credit all the way around to the success in what I call the phase two of the bullpen. It's been an, a, a wild, interesting ride. But now moving back to uh, it gives them that stability in the back end of the bullpen. And with some other guys pitching really well, uh, it's stabilized is how I put it. No doubt. Speaking to Kendall Graveman, it seems like they've been very protective of him since coming back from COVID-19 positive tests because you know, he's been more of a setup guy than the closer. Uh, at what point do you think that they'll make the adjustment and put him back in the ninth inning? I think they've started to, you know, he's not a traditional closer as it is anyway. Scott Service has kind of unleashed him as more of a fireman guy. So if they need outs, depending on uh, if they're facing the meat of the order in the eighth inning, for example, that's when Graven will pitch. He will pitch in the highest leverage situations, and sometimes that's not the ninth inning. So I think we will continue to see him in that kind of role, pitch when they will need him the most. We've kind of seen him now. He's pitched back-to-back days for the first time. He did that in Cleveland, which was great to see. And last night uh, came out, and he looked pretty sharp against Tampa, which was great. He got a strikeout, just 10 pitches in that outing. That's more along the lines of what we saw earlier this season. So not a surprise. I mean, he went nearly a month without pitching. That was a long time. So took him a couple of outings to, I think, get his groove back. But he's going to continue to be the guy that Scott Service goes to when he needs outs. And he has been one of the best relievers in baseball this year. And then finally, the bat, uh, batting seems to be getting better and better. I know, what, about a week ago or uh, 10 days ago, the team batting average was like 206, and right now it's jumped up to be uh, 216. So that has uh-huh. to be encouraging. I think so. It, it's, been, it's been great to see. And part of it is there's a few different things going on, uh, I think. It, it's not just one guy carrying the load here. It's a number of different things. One is... You know, guys like J.P. Crawford have just been in a really nice groove for a long time. Mitch Hanniger, of course, has been consistent throughout the course of the season. But, you know, you get Ty France back, and he's healthy after going through, uh, you know, he got hit, and he was 
uh, struggling with injury, went on the IL. He's back. He's clearly healthy. Dylan Moore is back in the lineup. He's healthy. So there's some more length. Uh, Tom Murphy against lefties has done a really good job. So just kind of one through nine, they're getting more production. What I've been really impressed by uh, through all the injuries this year, the one to me that really hurts the most is Kyle Lewis. That one stings for a number of reasons. One is he's been through so much, and just from a personal level, it's it's really tough to watch him go down with the meniscus. But also, he's the middle of the order, man. He's he's the big bat in the middle of the order. He was doing a lot of things really well offensively. And I thought when he went down that it would be really hard to overcome that injury and give Jake Fraley primarily a lot of credit for doing that. He's been ultra productive. He's been excellent. You know, he's hit four home runs, but he's on base all the time on base percentage over 450, which has been excellent. And to me, that's what's improved the offense. It's been a number of different guys and uh, all at the same time, that's just kind of made the offense better. And last night we saw it. I mean, a ton of hits, double digit hitch, which was great to see. And, don't take this for granted. They've taken the first two from Tampa, who has the best pitching staff in baseball, and the Mariners have managed to batter that staff around uh, yesterday. And a come-from-behind win in the ninth inning, which is pretty improbable against Tampa the day before. So this has been a really fun series so far, and hopefully we'll see some more of it tonight. Okay, well, Gary Hill, you're, of course, the big bat in the middle of the uh, Mariner broadcasting team. Uh, I thank you for joining us. And, of course, 7-10 tonight will be uh, tonight's game against Tampa Bay. And, of course, 6 o'clock in the free game. Thank you for joining us. Anytime, John. It was fun. Good luck with the phones the rest yeah. of the way. I'm hoping for the best. I hope. Okay. <laughs> Gary Hill. All right, so coming back, uh, we will try to get to the phone lines at 866-979-ESPN, 206-421-ESPN. John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. This is the John Clayton Show on 710 ESPN Seattle and 710sports.com. Our thanks to uh, Matt Nelson and, of course, uh, to one of the engineers who was able to come on this Saturday and you know do some magic. It looks like we got the phone lines open, 866-979-ESPN, 206-421-ESPN. Let's go to Jet. Jet, how are you? Not bad, Dr. John. I'm glad you're surviving the morning, and uh, a big tooth, big thumbs up to uh, Matt Nelson. He is truly a magician. Yeah, he really It's amazing, and of course, you know, certainly on a Saturday, trying to get an engineer is very difficult to do because, you know, you're, you got the uh, Father's Day weekend, and it's such a great weather day and all that stuff, but our thanks, we were able to get things back. You know, I don't know what you've done to the technology gods, John, but between your own personal computer problems and now what's happened here, I don't know who you've angered, but boy, you've got a pox on your house. Oh, it's been it's been brutal. I can tell you that. I mean, uh, every day there seems to be something. Yeah, and speaking of houses with pox on them, let's talk about the Jets for a few yeah. minutes. What's um? What are they going to do about a backup quarterback? Is there any uh, any movement? Any thoughts? Anything you hear? Any scuttlebutt going on? Hmm. I mean, there seems to be some preliminary talks about maybe doing something with Nick Foles. I don't know if that's going to work out. He makes $8 million a year on a three-year, $24 million contract. Uh, Nick Mullins ended up from San Francisco going to Philadelphia. So uh, that takes him out of the mix. But they've got to do something because, I mean, they just don't have one. Yeah, they've got to pick up somebody. And uh, I'm just wondering if, uh, you know, if Foles may come back into play a little bit because of the uh, restructuring of uh, Jamison Crowder's contract. Mm-hmm. Um, 
they freed up some money there, so maybe uh, it could be a two-step process. But I, I fully agree with you. They've got to come up with something better than what they – because they really have nothing right now. Well, and I think they got to do uh, something at cornerback, and right now they, they haven't. Well, John, you know, as we've been talking about, yeah, they've got some problems at cornerback, but they've got a lot of young kids there, yeah. some with some potential talent. And you know what? This may be a season where we just got to absorb the pain and hope we can get to the quarterback and, um, you know, let the kids grow. Uh, I don't know what else they're going to do. I hope they'll pick up at least one veteran. It sounds like Sherman's not coming this way because he made a statement that he wants to play for a winner. And, yeah. well, we certainly know that's not going to be the Jets in 21. So uh, I, I think that one you can cross off the list. I don't think he's, I don't think he's you know, bluffing or, you know, negotiating at that point. So, you know, I don't know what else. Maybe somebody will drop uh, because of free agency or roster cut or salary cut. But, you know, I think that ultimately this season is just going to be a place where we just absorb the pain and let the kids grow. Yeah, yeah. That's. I mean, because, again, it's not like you can uh, take this team and say, oh, boy, we're going to improve it so fast. Uh, it does. It takes a couple of years, and particularly, you know, going with a young quarterback. And the way I kind of look at it, uh, it, it takes like three years to at least, you know, get the team upright if you're rebuilding and going with a young quarterback. I mean, that was kind of the case with Russell Wilson. But Russell, well, when he came in in 2012, you know, made it to the playoffs the first year and continued to make the playoffs. But usually it takes the third year to, uh, you know, to get to get right and then become a playoff type team. Yeah, and as you know, you well know, they're in the second year of their three-year yeah. building program, and I think this is the year where they when they put in the program, they put in their offensive scheme, they put in their defensive schemes, they introduce it to the players, they let the players get acclimated to it and let the team grow, and then next year is when they start fine-tuning, okay, what do we need now? Mm-hmm. And uh, they'll still have the draft capital and the, certainly the money uh, room to uh, be able to make those tweaks to the roster. But I like the little moves that they're making. Um, you know, they picked up that uh, that veteran safety uh, that that uh, Oldbrook is familiar with. Um, you know, these little little moves that they're picking up here and there uh, that could pay big dividends down the road. Um, I, they've got an eye for detail, and and I like what they're doing. And you know, it's uh, the coaching staff and the, and the front office seem to be working hand in glove finally. Mm-hmm. So I, I think everybody's rolling in the same direction, and uh, and I, I like what I'm seeing. Yeah, I mean, I think it's funny because I know for the Washington Post, uh, they wanted and I wanted to get together with Joe Douglas to try to do, you know, a nice fifteen uh, hundred word story on what I think has been a very good off season for the Jets. <laughs> but what I didn't realize is Joe's not real big on doing a lot of interviews, and so no. uh, I kind of got shot down on that idea. Uh, but uh, I've liked the last two drafts. I've certainly liked what he's been able to do in free agency this off season. You know, and so I think that they, they, he's definitely made some progress. Yeah, and the thing I like is, uh, you know, he's not he's spending money wisely when yeah. he does choose to spend. He targets the players that he's looking for. The thing I'm going to be interested in, talk about free agency pickups this year, is a linebacker that they got from um, uh, Detroit and what they're going to do with him and how this is going to mesh with Mosley because they've got an eye for this guy because mm-hmm. they went after him first thing. And they've got a plan for him. And I'm wondering if they're just going to move him to the outside because he's got nothing but speed, despite the fact he's played in the middle almost his entire career. And, but I think he may be a great scheme fit. And it's going, to be, it's going to be interesting to see how he pans out in this system because they definitely targeted him for a reason. And, uh, you know, they paid him pretty well, all things considered. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I think that's going to be a pretty good litmus test for, 
you know, what this front office and what this uh, coaching staff uh, has in mind. Because I think that's a situation to watch. Because I thought that was an odd move, certainly on its face. But there's got to be a there's got to be a scheme fit plan here. Yeah, it does look like they uh, are making progress trying to get uh, the right tackle out of the Washington football team who was cut. What's the uh, what's going on with that? Yeah, well, I mean, have you heard anything? Yeah, I mean, it sounds like they're getting closer and closer to getting some kind of a deal done. Which of course, uh, which which will be interesting because how's that going to affect George Fant and uh, you know what's going to happen there? Well, you know, I mean, they don't owe Fant any more money. I think all the guaranteed money yeah. is gone, isn't it? Uh-huh. So I mean, they can cut him without ramification. And we're talking about um, Morgan Moses. That's uh, who was yeah. cut by Washington. Yeah. But what, what would he come in at? Because, I mean, Fant is not cheap, yeah. but he's not real expensive either. Well, it's like, I think it was what, he, nine, million? He, nine million. Yeah, he was the highest paid free agent uh, signed last year by Joe Douglas. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, the way you're looking at numbers right now, it's probably going to be somewhere like 3.5, 3.6 million. Now, as far as uh, production on the field, I mean, how would you compare him to Fant? Because Fant played pretty well last year. I thought he did, yeah. I mean, I thought he was. And I, and I think he, and I think he's a great fit for the system. Mm-hmm. He's athletic. Um, he can kick outside. I really think he's a, he's a really good fit both in the passing game and the running game in this offensive scheme. So, you know, I hope, I hope they're just getting him as a depth, looking to this Redskin guy as a depth position type. Because I'd like to see what Fant can do. Yeah, yeah. Because, again, I thought that, you know, of the offensive line additions, which really didn't work out for the most part, I thought he was the best. I mean, he got the most money. But, uh, you know, that was one thing that I wasn't real thrilled with last year is that, uh, what, they changed four out of five starters on the offensive line, bringing them all in. And, you know, I don't know if they got better. They may have gotten a little bit worse. Yeah, let's just call it what it is. It was a failed experiment. Yeah. But but okay, so if they do bring in the guy from from Washington, uh, you know, I mean, is he a depth piece? I mean, is he going to challenge Fant? Would they get rid of Fant? Uh, how do you if if they do go this route, and I think they might. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how do you how, how do you see it? I mean, where is he going to fit? What are uh, they going to do? Good question. I mean, I guess you know, comes in as a backup, and then see if he has a chance to compete for the starting job. I mean, I don't think I don't know. Uh, if he can make a move inside to play some guard, that could be a possibility too. But uh, you know, he's always been a tackle. Yeah, and you know, one thing I can definitely say is they certainly need depth yeah. on that offensive line. Um, you know, they're yeah, they they have definitely improved themselves across the board, but there's really nothing behind them. So if no. somebody goes down, and you know, was exposed last year when Beckton got hurt several times. Uh, there really is nothing behind them. So mm-hmm. you know, if it's a depth move, man, I, I'm all in favor of that. Yeah. But as far as just an outright trying to replace fan, I'm not so keen on that one. No, I agree. Hey, Jet, thank you for the phone call, and it's good to be able to have the phone call. <laughs> yes, it is, John. And uh, I don't know, get, uh, you know, I don't know, start burning some leaves or yeah. you know, find out where that voodoo doll is. I know. But, man, you better do something with those technology gods. I agree. <laughs> Jet, thank you. <laughs> Hang in there, John. Bye-bye. All right, all right. 866-979-ESPN, 206-421-ESPN. John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. This is the John Clayton Show on 710 ESPN Seattle and 710sports.com. 866-979-ESPN, 206-421-ESPN. Let's go to Robert. Robert in Kirkland. Hey, Robert. Hey, uh, John. Thanks for taking my call through all your technical difficulties you're going through. Yeah, well, thanks for being patient because it's been, it's been kind of crazy. 
All right. All right. Well, no problem on that because I love getting your opinions on yeah. sports. So cool. I'm going to shoot one at you. All right. Mariners doing pretty good. They're 500. And you being superior knowledge in football, and then I want to throw this analogy at you. If any NFL coach had a winning percentage, win-loss percentage of 492, do you think they'd be fired? Mm, not necessarily, because again, it's like for example, uh, you know, you, you like to have a winning record, but of course, if you don't have a winning roster, and of course, if you're going to be, you know, on a team like this that's, uh, you know, trying to go through the rebuilding process, build up through mm-hmm. the farm system, I mean, uh, if you got a 492 uh, record, then I think you're doing very well, because again, you know, it take, you know, you've seen it with the White Sox, you've seen it with Houston, you've seen it with other teams. It takes five years. To be sure. Able to, okay, so, but you know, he's had six years, and he's only had two years of being above 500. Yeah. Given last year was a disaster, you know. Yeah. I personally, I I think they should have not even played. Just give the players a rest, and then play the whole 162 game. Like you know, this year, mm-hmm. but we got. You know, I guess it helps the minor leaguers. You know, but I understand that. But the thing of it is. A winning culture, you're from Pittsburgh, I take it, correct? Yeah. yeah. All right. Pittsburgh was my first team when I was a little kid before we had the Seahawks back in the 70s. Had my Pittsburgh Steelers jacket. I loved it. The iron wall, what mm-hmm. my brothers would call it. And they had a winning culture. They had the coach. They had the defense. They had Terry Bradshaw. We don't have a winning culture here in the Mariners system because they don't have a winning history. Our GM was basically let go from, you know, asked to leave from the Angels. And, the, you know, the manager, he hasn't done nothing, but I give him credit for it seems that this team has faith in him and that they're playing for him. And that's why I'm asking you, do you think he deserves an extension? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, because just to be able to have what they've had as many as 14, 15 players on the injured list. I mean, all but mm-hmm. uh, Kikuchi and a couple other uh, starters have been hurt. Uh, you know, they lose Justin Dunn this week. Marco Gonzalez is coming back from the injured list, all those different things. And to be at 500 when you've had that many problems. I mean, you think about, I mean, <coughs> here's your all-star middle of the lineup uh, center fielder in Kyle Lewis. You know, he's on the, now on the 60-day disabled list. You know, Mitch Haniger had to miss a couple days after he you know, hit yeah. that ball off his knee. I mean, you look at all the things that have gone against that and to be at 500 is remarkable and even last year say what you want you know because this was a young team and they were they were still in the playoff race until the last week of the season so uh you know ex- i do give them that i do give the mariners uh, you know because i believe it was you guys are saying that you know these team this team is exciting they're not yeah. going out there to lose you know they're they're going out there to win it and they they seem to have that attitude but i'm just saying that is there a possibility that we could get someone that pushes us over that edge in a coach, you know, that could make this, you know, team finally click? And then do you have faith in Stanton opening his wallet with the free agent market? This mm-hmm. can be exploding. And my third question, I'll take this off the air. Since the shortstop free agency is going to be huge this coming year, do you think J.P. Crawford is worth 
extending his contract too. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for your time. Yeah, because I know we were talking to Gary Hill, and I mean, he pretty much says right now, I mean, he's probably the best shortstop in baseball right now. The range that he has, the ability to turn a double play, the fact he's you know batting in the two eighties, he's showing some home run prowess, all those different things. Yeah, I think that you've got to look to extend him and Mitch Hanniger when that's going to be necessary. Hanniger, of course, a little bit a little bit earlier, and that's why. You're hopeful that they're they're not going to you know trade away a Kyle Seager or somebody like that because again you know this this team has struggled so much hitting the ball and now in the last uh, week they've taken their batting average from 206 to 216 that's encouraging but I think that Service has done a remarkable job and you know 492 to have that kind of a record with what's happened to a franchise that hasn't been to the playoffs in what 20 years I think that uh, you can uh, you can say that I think they have a good one and I don't know if you can find one that's going to be better. Let's go to David in Bellingham. Hey, David. Hey, good morning, John. Good morning. Hey, I've always thought of John Gruden as a 500 court, uh, head coach. I think the early years with Al, I mean, he, he, he shared a he shared a room, a building with Al Davis, mm-hmm. and really helped. Really, really, a lot of those winning years that he had initially in the NFL, I, you can attribute to. Al Davis and his relationship with him. And then he gets traded to Tampa Bay and he walks into a world-class defense where he has to just make a few alterations on offense. And then he's fortunate enough to play his old team in the Super Bowl where they don't make any game plan changes. And I, I just, the rest of the time, Tampa Bay was a 500. Was a 500. Uh, his, this second round with the Raiders, he's below 500. I've just never really thought much of him as a head coach, and I would really like to see the Raiders move on from him. Do you feel there's any opportunity that he might step away if he had a losing year this year? I don't. I, I mean, he's on a ten-year, hundred million dollar contract. I can't see that happening. And you know, he, I think he's still going to stay and bang at it. But right now, you're right. I mean, he's got to he's got to get better because again, they're not winning. And I don't know if they're going to win this year. I mean, they're pretty much a 500 team at best when you look at the way they are on defense and some of the issues they have on the offensive line now and their cap situation, everything else. So uh, I'm not overly optimistic, but I can't see with a 10-year, $100 million contract that's all guaranteed that uh, the owner is going to go ahead and uh, make a change. Yeah, that's what I'm afraid of, too. And... uh... The thing that bothers me about the Raiders early, win some early games, he looks good. Then the rest of the league figures out what he's doing about the halfway mark, and he and he fades, and he just continues to fade each year. And and that to me is that's all coaching. Yeah. So I'm sure there's some there's some injuries in there to attribute to it for sure, but that's coaching. That's just the team just coming apart at the seams at the end of the year. It, this is three consecutive years of the Raiders have faded at the end. I, I, I'm just not. I've never been a Gruden fan. I'm not a Gruden fan. I, I, I don't want to even sound like I'm, like I, like I like the guy. I, I don't. I think he's a great TV guy. I think he's great for the entertainment world. But as for coaching, uh, he's. He's overrated. Yeah, but but the other part is that, uh, you know, they have not drafted well. They've made a lot of mistakes in free agency at wide receiver. 
I mean, uh, then, of course, they get themselves in a situation which I thought one of the strengths of the team was their offensive line. And then they put themselves in a position where they trade three offensive linemen and, uh, you know, they don't get great value for them, just mid-round picks and things of that nature. And you're saying, is there a plan here? And what I think when the personnel standpoint, there doesn't seem to be a real plan. It's like they go into the office each day and, oh, let's do this. Let's do this. And it's like, uh, is it really going to work? Well, and I have to agree with you. I, I bring me on two entertainment guys in Gruden and Mayock. Yeah. Although I like Mayock, I have a lot of respect for him and his knowledge of football. But, yeah, I don't. I didn't understand the move bringing Mayock on it. I'm not. I don't want to knock the guy, but I, I just didn't understand that move, and um, I, I I can't understand what the Raiders are doing. Mm-hmm. I don't understand what they're doing, and it's as a fan, it's it, it's just oh yeah, it's, it's so frustrating, so frustrating, man. I can feel your I pain, just, but uh, uh, I think that's what it is. Hey, David, thank you for the phone call. Thanks, Sean. All right, 866-979-ESPN, 206-421-ESPN. John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. This is the John Clayton Show on 710 ESPN Seattle and 710sports.com. Phones are working at 866-979-ESPN, 206-421-ESPN. Let's go to Risco in Washington. Hey, Risco. Hi, John. I love the show. Ah, thank you. Appreciate it. So, who do you think will be the... um? Um, best trade candidate for a wide receiver for the Seahawks. What's your opinion? I don't think they're going to make a trade for a receiver. I think right now, I think they're pretty satisfied with what they have. I know that, uh, you know, good reviews for Penny Hart, who made the team last year as the fifth receiver. I mean, he seems to be competing for the third receiver job. Dwayne Estridge looks like uh, he, he has a good chance to do it because they put a second-round pick into him. So, uh, you know, they explored the idea of uh, Julio Jones and wisely did not make a trade there because, again, it would be like wasting a second-round pick on uh, Estridge. So I think right now they're pretty content with what they have at wide receiver, and I can't see him giving up any trade value for a wide receiver. What what team will be a surprise um, tank this year? What is your um, What is your feelings about it? Well, I mean, it's a surprise team on a positive level. I'd say that uh, I don't know where you have the Denver Broncos, but I think the Denver Broncos, they've got a great secondary, the best in football right now. They've got the sixth best pass-catching group. I mean, I think that Titty Bridgewater will make them a little bit better at quarterback, but he's certainly making Drew, Drew Locke better. And also, it's like they're still in a position, best position of any team in the league, to be able to maybe acquire Aaron Rodgers if the Packers wake up and trade him. So I think that you know they can be considered a surprise. I think the Chargers are going to be you know bouncing back. Certainly Cleveland's now one of the better teams in the AFC. So I, you like what you see there. But uh, you know, a lot, the, the surprise teams are, I think, more AFC than NFC because again, the NFC has gone through a big transition as far as quarterbacks. You know, you no know, no longer have Drew Brees. You know, Detroit traded away uh, Matthew Stafford, and uh, so I think you know, you look at AFC teams right now as being the teams that have a chance to surprise, particularly how young these teams are. So um, this is my last question before I go off yeah. the air. Who do you think will be the uh, most improved player? What are your thoughts about it? Most improved player? 
good question because again, it's like uh, I think there'll be you know some more improvement with uh, Lamar Jackson, but of course he's already won an MVP, so how much you know you, you can't try to underestimate that. I think that uh, you know again there'll be some improvement in Drew Locke in Denver, but I can't guarantee that he's going to have a the starting job, I think, uh, but overall, I think that, uh, you know, we'll see. Cause again, you know, we've seen so many veterans that haven't been in camp, you know, because they were boycotting or if they came in, they're you know going to be in a position where, uh, they, you know, we're going to struggle a little bit, but uh, overall, I think that, uh, you know, I, I, you still look at the quarterback position, uh, you know, Tua would be a candidate down in Miami at quarterback, but then, you know, he struggled so far in this off season. And so maybe he's more next Next year than this year, but I mean, he's the quarterback that I think should be able to improve the most. Hey, Risco, thank you for the phone call. Yeah, did you get my um, me and my dad's friend request? On that, which, which which was that? The fan club request. Uh, I did not because I've not been down at the station for many, many years, and right now, you know, getting any kind of a mail from the station has been very difficult. Um. Thanks, John. For All right, Risco, thank you. Let's go to Chris in Everett. Hey, Chris. <clears throat> hey, John. I was talking to you for about, what, two weeks now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was on hold these last couple weeks. Hey, it's all good. But, hey, um, yeah, KJ Wright, what is going on with KJ? Well, right now it's he's on the outside looking in. Cody Barton has done such a good job this offseason. You know, he's going to be the starting strong side linebacker. They like what they see so far from Daryl Ta- Taylor being strong side linebacker and defensive end. So, you know, unless something happens before the start of the season, uh, start of training camp, I think right now he's out. Mm, yeah. So, you know, um, a few weeks ago, it was last week he said this with uh, uh, Bobman Davis about. Richard Sherman. Now, I don't think he might no. not come back. He just, yeah, I don't think so. What do you think about that? No, I, I think right now, no. I think that they're content enough with the numbers that they have at the cornerback position that they won't do that. I don't know what kind of number Richard wouldn't want to come in for, but you know, right now, I think the best the best he could get is like three, three point five, and I don't know if he would want to play for that. But I know that he wants to play. But at the moment, he's you know, I think that you know they'll go with. Uh, Akella Witherspoon. They'll go with uh, DJ Reed. You know, I know Trey Flowers got a good review from Pete Carroll on on Thursday. So uh, yeah, I think right now, no Richard Sherman here in Seattle. Mm, hey, I um I I read on like on social media, did the Seahawks release the running back and sign like tight end? Is that true? Who's that again? Oh, like release a running back. And then sign another um, tight end for the Seahawks. Is that yeah? True? But you're, you're talking about an undrafted uh, guy, so it's like uh, oh yeah. And, and he was the one that didn't have a signing bonus and all that stuff. So it was just a real minor move. You know, a guy right in the back of the roster. You know, close to that 90 man. So it's like uh, it wasn't wasn't a big move. And they just brought in another tight end. That's two tight ends that they brought in in the last week. But uh, you know, real minor move with an undrafted guy replaced by an undrafted guy, or actually a second year guy because he was undrafted last year. Hey, Chris, thank oh. you for the phone call. Eight six six nine seven nine ESPN two zero six four two one ESPN. Dave Grosby joining us at ten thirty. It's the John Clayton Show seven ten ESPN Seattle.